Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Welcome on line. Those of you who are watching on YouTube, welcome to you guys who are here. Thank you for being uh, with us this morning. Let's pause. Let's pray as we get started. Father, there are so many things pressing into our lives that are urgent, that are important, that are taking our attention There is the craziness around the world, the unrest. There are the people we love who are sick and some who have died. There is economic pressure. There is tension in our country, even among family members. And Lord, you have called us to be a light to be salt to the earth, to be peacemakers. And Father, we are here because that is our desire. Our desire is to be changed by you and to bring about the change that you can make. And so this morning, wanting this to happen, we are here asking that your spirit would speak into our lives and would quicken us, Lord, would make us alive so that your will could be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Randy's going to come up and lead us in some songs here. have a few announcements uh, for us this morning. Uh, One, I want to just let you know what is happening uh, with the current climate and us, um, with our children's gathering. Uh, We do have outside available uh, for those who do not feel comfortable being indoors. Uh, It is not necessary, according to what we are, I'm understanding, for those who are fully vaccinated to have to be masked in a situation like ours where we do not have a large group of people. It is highly recommended for those who aren't vaccinated. Um, And if you do wear a mask, it is recommended that you have a good mask, a N95 or a KN95. So if you would like to be outside where there is not as much danger of the virus that is available to you here, 
But for our children, we are not at a place right now where we are ready to get the kids all together and start class. And so we do not have a children's facility as of yet. We have a space open where the parent wants to go and be in there with their child. They can. Uh, Today's a great day. It's not too hot, so it's not that problematic. That's the current condition that we find ourselves in. Things can always change. Things have been changing. And I'm trying to be uh, kept up to date with the people who I trust, who I think uh, are giving clear advice and instruction. Um, But we want to be at a place where we are considerate, right? We don't want to be belligerent and we want to be aware of other people. Um, Even uh, this past week, uh, a close friend of Brianna's passed away. She was 38 or 39, 38 years old, a mother of a child, married, and she passed from COVID. Uh, and, And these things are happening, and we are aware of these things, and they are more and more affecting so many of us in our lives. And so we don't want to come at this with an attitude, anything but concern, care, and love, and sympathy. Um, So this is where we are in our current climate, just to let you know. Uh, We are gathering in different things that we are doing. We did have a paint uh, class here um, Tuesday? Friday. Friday. What day is it? Friday. (laughs) Friday, we had a paint class here, um, and and some people were masked, some weren't, uh, but it was a great time. We are still going to do things, but it wasn't a packed house where it was super crowded. I think there was like 15 of us in the room or so, Um, and we are going to continue doing things, but we are trusting that you will do what you can to be safe. Um, We do have a Bible journaling class that's taking place this Saturday at 1.30. If you are interested, uh, you can go to the Common Grounds family on Instagram and DM them and let them know. The cost is $25, as I said. Also, Take Two is still happening here live and online Wednesday evenings. We are meeting at 6.30 to just interact. We have some snacks here. It's not a lot of snacks. So if you're like coming, going, oh boy, it's snacks. There's like some little chips and some juice and tea. Um, So don't be let down if that's why you're coming. But the whole idea is that we can get together and talk. You know, this morning I'm going to be talking about something that I, I hope is, I hope it provokes more conversation. I hope it allows us to have a deeper conversation. It might be somewhat controversial to some. I don't think it should be, but um, let's talk. If you don't agree with something I say, then let's talk about it, right? I'm not here to make everyone think like me. I'm here to wrestle with God and the things that we read and the things that we understand and the world that we live in. And and so if there's something that you think would be good to add to the conversation, come and let's talk about it. If there's something that you feel, you know, that isn't a healthy part of the conversation, uh, then come and let's talk about it, right? You, You don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to agree to have a voice. And so uh, take two, Wednesday nights, 6.30, we, we gather here, start talking, and then we go live at 7 o'clock. And so that is there uh, for you guys to participate in. And then also with all the things that are happening in our world, 
Um, many of you have seen the just heartbreaking uh, images in Afghanistan of people trying to get out of the country. And there's so many things happening. What can we do? Well, the first thing we want to do is pray. And so after our gathering here this morning, uh, we are going to be praying for those people who are in harm's way and um, need prayer. And it's one of the things that we can do. Uh, There's also needs in Haiti still from the earthquake and things that we want to do with that. There are people, again, who are hospitalized and a lot of things that are going on. But this morning, we want to pray for those who are in uh, just these dire situations in other countries and do at least what we can and that way and then see what it leads to from there. And so that's going to be happening right after our gathering if you want to stick around and join us. Um, Randy's going to come up and read a couple of passages out of Matthew chapter 5 where we're going to be at today. He dropped some money, man. Is that my... Hey, Randy, <laughs> Just... <some> money? <laughs> I'm going to start in verse 27. Jesus says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole life, your whole body, be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Yeah, this will be fun. (laughs) You know, when I started doing a series on the politics of Jesus at a politically heightened time in our our country, I think Brian asked me one time, he goes, why did you decide to do that? And it's just like, I'm a glutton for punishment. No, I just felt that it was the need to step into it. So let's talk about politics and religion. What else could be more controversial? Except let's throw sex in there. Why not, you know? I think there are some heavy things that are in this passage and just in all the things that Jesus are saying. Remember, Jesus has been telling us about an understanding of God that we are to have. And in chapter 5, verse 19, just to a way of reminder, he said, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how Jesus is really dealing with the cultural thing where their law, the Torah, when it says the law, it's talking about the, the Torah, the five books of the Hebrew scriptures, And they would weigh those into what laws they saw that were heavy or important, uh, weightier, and others that were light. And they had this way of dividing them because they wanted to make sure they kept the heavier ones and didn't sacrifice the heavier ones for the light ones, right? It's like something important happens and you have to make a choice between these two. Do you help your animal out of a ditch or do you keep the Sabbath? Which one is weightier? Which one is more important? So they set this kind of chart of which ones were which. And that's what Jesus is stepping into when he talks about, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, whoever is angry at his brother without cause has committed that murder within his heart. 
Those are two of the laws. One was considered weightier and the other was considered lighter. But Jesus is saying this one that you consider light is actually touching to the heart of what leads to this heavier one. And so he is trying to help us understand that the way we abolish the law is by misunderstanding it and not applying it to our lives. And the way we fulfill the law is by fully understanding what God is wanting and then putting it into practice. And so the challenge is to those who were leading at that time, both politically and religiously, seeing where they were, and he is using himself as an example of what it really looks like that God is wanting to convey. And I'm telling you, he's gonna kick our butts throughout this whole thing. At least it's been kicking mine. I don't know about you guys, but I keep reading these things and I'm like, dang, Jesus, you know, why you gotta be that way? And this is why it is the politics of Jesus, because politics are policies and practices put in place by those who are in power. And what Jesus does here and how he does this by interpreting them shows us how different his politics is than ours are today. And the first thing I wanna do is, is look at this idea of adultery, because at the time of Jesus, it was a little bit different than it is understood at our time. And what I mean by that is at the time when he is speaking here, it was considered sexual relationships between a married or betrothed woman and a man other than her husband or betrothed. So today we think adultery is infidelity from either spouse, but there was a double standard back then. See, it was frowned on, but a married man could have sexual relationships with a prostitute, with a woman who was not married or betrothed, and it wasn't considered adultery. It was only when it was a woman who was married or betrothed that it was considered adultery because what it was considered was a violation against another man's property. I know, right? I know. It's just that just just leaves that like, man, that just doesn't fit right. But that was the world that they're living in. And so when he talks about, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus is talking about how they saw this and how they believed and acted in their society about that. A test in the book of Numbers was given to see if a woman had committed adultery. There was no test to see if a man had committed adultery. And the test, it's just one of these ones where if you don't read the Bible sometimes and say, what the heck, I don't know what you're reading, right? Because some of these things are just like, what the heck? And let me just kind of read this to you. The priest mixed holy water with dirt from the tabernacle floor and she drinks it. And the priest prays that if she is guilty, she will miscarry. But if innocent, that nothing happens to her okay, guys, what the heck, right? I mean, you see something like that, and it's just like, if, if you can read something like that and just say, oh, no, okay, I, I don't know what's going on. I read something like this, and I'm just like, huh? What's going on? And I think this should help us in our understanding of how we are to read Scripture 
Because if we don't look at these things and question them, I don't think we are doing justice to what the scripture is. This is what the rabbis did with each other. They would question things. It wasn't a problem to say, well, what does this mean? I think it means this. I don't think it means this. I think it's their opinion of trying to do something. I don't. Why don't we have those dialogues today? Why don't we have the ability to question this? Why do I have to take this and not say, this is crazy, right? This is some medieval kind of stuff here. Can I say that? A lot of people turning the channel right now. So, Adultery at the time was really a violation of your male neighbor's rights because it was theft of your male neighbor's property. And then the light commandment, right? Because that's the heavy commandment. You will not commit adultery. The light commandment that Jesus connects to this in verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is interesting. This, I think, is, again, why Jesus intrigues me so much, is because how he pushes into this. The word that is used for covet in the Septuagint, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, is the same word that's used here for lust. He is quoting from that using that word, and coveting is, it's tough to measure, right? I can measure murder because there's a body, right? And I can measure if someone doesn't keep the Sabbath because there they are watching the football game or whatever, right? Maybe not then. But how do you measure coveting? It's something that's happening in you. And so it was considered light, And so Jesus uses the word lust in a bit deeper way. It's not just sexual desire, but internal pursuit that is acted upon. And this is an important nuance because he isn't condemning sexual desire. What he's doing is connecting, acting upon and pursuing something when it's not yours, which is different And the word lust here isn't always bad. You know, we think lust and we think, oh, it's sexual in nature, but it it isn't. It's not always bad. Jesus said, how I've longed to eat this Passover supper with you, talking to his disciples. And the word that he uses there is the same word here. All right, you you could translate it lust. It's a strong desire. And so it's not always something that is evil. It's not always something that is wrong. And so again, when we think lust, if we just go immediately to sexual desire, it's part of our culture. It's part of how we understand things. When we think adultery, we think of either the man or the woman. At that time, this is something a little bit different. And it's important that we distinguish these things because what Jesus is doing is equating lust with coveting and pursuing something that is not yours. Even if you don't follow through with the act, it's condemned because you have given your heart permission to pursue it. And just like anger was the root of the murder, it is this, lust, this pursuit of something that isn't yours that would lead to the adultery. And so much like the anger, 
Coveting is connected to that root. And this is more of a will word than it really is just a desire word. It includes the attitude, but it's primarily connected with the actions that are taken from that will. I want, I'm going to pursue these things. And it's important because many of us grew up thinking that lust was just sexual desire and was condemned if we had those desires for anyone who we weren't already married to, then it was condemned, which is just so confusing, right? When do I get to lust after my wife, right? It's like, no, no, you know, tomorrow, not today. You know, we, we have this way of saying things and you either can or you can't. And there's no healthy way of engaging in these things and understanding how what God is really wanting us to do is show control, but he's given us these desires. I, I hope you lust for your spouse. I, I, I don't think it's wrong, but even talking about this, right? I'm getting red. I'm, getting, I'm having to, you know, get embarrassed for myself here just talking about these things. Because Jesus wants us to connect the ideas of our will and what we do, not just the desires that we have that the desires that we have need to be in a control of our will. And when the desires that we have aren't being controlled by our wills, then we can get into trouble. And connecting coveting with adultery, what he is doing is he's actually removing the double standard that was there at that time. So Jesus doesn't care that it's your neighbor's property. You are sinning against her by coveting her. Boom. That's a game changer. At that time, now he is saying that you have sinned against her. Well, no, no, no. She's the property of him, not in the politics of Jesus. Gives me goosebumps. I just see these things and I just think, oh, I think, oh, that's all I can say. I just think, oh, this is, this is amazing, right? He is pointing out and attacking the double standard that existed. And, and in many ways, it still exists today, right? We still have this kind of understanding. We, we're not just talking about, you know, biological things here that happen to us when we're attracted to someone. We're talking about the pursuit of someone in violation to that person and thinking that we have the right to that and turning my will towards the action. Coveting can be good or bad depending on the actions that are taken. And that actions have to include the person. And in a, a world at this time and in a world that still today does not consider everyone equal on the same playing field, Jesus is throwing a... a monkey wrench into their system, into their political integrity. And it could be continued wanting something, right? I mean, this can take place if you start losing control. Where does it happen? It usually happens in the mind in the way we think, right? It can happen by us entertaining thoughts, within our mind, and then pursuing those thoughts. 
by a, a lingering gaze or by a flirting text or by something where we now step into an area where the will is now moving into action. This is moving us in a direction that we need to take responsibility for. The thing that is striking is that he is putting the responsibility here on the man and not the woman. Again, reversing what was happening at that time. And I'm going to talk about how it's not just that the woman has no say in this or no ability to do the same. It's not that women can't covet or lust in this way too, but he's attacking the politics of male hierarchy at that time that looked at women as nothing but property of another man. And when he says, verse 29, because, you know, he just, he just kind of threw this at them, and then he throws this at them. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, this is one of those things where it's just like, okay. But remember, we've talked about hyperbole exaggerated language. And this is something that Jesus has been doing. And here's another example of that. Remember where he talked about in the anger, if you go to the altar to to worship God and you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar. Go reconcile with your brother and come back. And, And at that point where he was talking, the altar was 80 miles away, right? So, hey, and they didn't have, you know, Uber. They didn't have a way to get there. It's like, oh, we got a walker if you had, you know, a mule or something. It's going to be a three-day journey just to reconcile. And he goes, yeah, that's what you should do. Like, Doesn't that seem a little extreme? That's the whole point. This is how important that is. And so this is the hyperbole that he's talking about. And it was common for the rabbis to talk in this way. There's one uh, incident from one of the writings of the Mishnah. I want to read this one to you because I thought this was kind of shows you that it was common at that time. And the rabbi says, when three eat at one table and words of Torah and words of Torah are not spoken there, it is as if they ate at the altars of the dead, right? Because the dead is the unclean. And then when three eat at one table and bring up words of Torah, it's as if they ate at the table of God, blessed is he, right? That's the rabbi's way of trying to make it clear how important this is to them. And Jesus is doing the same thing here. When he's talking about, you know, gouging your eye out or chopping your hand off and it being thrown into hell. And remember the word hell that is used here is the word Hades, which was a dump where things were always burning outside the city. And it's a very clear picture to the people at that time what's happening, and what he's saying. And it's definitely exaggerated to make the point. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that this coveting was in the heart, right? He just said that. You've that you've committed adultery where? In your heart. Well, how does gouging out an eye change what's in my heart? Can you covet with only one eye? Pretty sure you can. I saw a Ferrari one day. I could look at it with one eye or two eyes and still covet it. 
Can you covet with just one hand? And the idea of the right eye, the right hand has to, I do, I think I do with being prominent, being your strongest hand, being what is the most important. But is cutting off a body part how you stop this? Right? If this is what it's about, if that's how you stop a person from having these sexual desires, anyway, there's another place you could go with that. I'll let you guys go there yourself. He's bringing urgency to this, just like he did with anger. He's helping us to understand the importance of this. And the word that is used for cause is the word that is used for a trap, right? It's this idea that if your right hand causes you, it's like grabbing something and being ensnared by it being trapped by that. And the whole point here is that there's bait, and when you go for it, you're captured by it. You are taken hold of by what you were trying to take hold of. And there's three implications that I want to bring out just here. The first thing is sexuality is a gift. It's not a curse. And throughout scripture, it is seen that way. It's become something that has been used and abused by degrading people, but that's on us, not on God. Scripture begins with a big yes, be fruitful and multiply. It does not begin with a no. Scripture actually has a very high view of sex. There's a song of songs that talk about relations as he knew his wife, And I love that terminology because it's not just, hey, yeah, he did it with his wife. It's like, no, he knew her. There is an intimacy that's there. Become one with that person. It is the mingling of souls, attachment, vulnerability, intimacy, pleasuring and serving one another. It's one of the most beautiful things that we can have together. But like anything, anything that's beautiful, when it's twisted, can become very dark, which is also what we see. And there's no shame or condemnation here. And and we need to get a healthier view of sex because it's magnificent, mysterious, and beautiful. But like anything, it can become hurtful and abusive. And, And so the first thing we have to do is understand that Jesus is not condemning sexual relationships. What he is doing is actually elevating it to be something that's healthy. The second implication is that the pursuit of lust can be devastating, whether it's sexual or anything. And Paul talks about this in, I think, a very beautiful and deep way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from their life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The word callous there means void of feeling. The inability to feel where something has become less than what it was supposed to be, that the action or whatever it is no longer has the meaning of what it should have. 
right? It's like when you eat a whole bag of chips and it isn't because they taste good. It's just trying to soothe something. I'm no longer enjoying the food. I'm using the food to deal with something. When we start using things to try and bring about the satisfaction and there's nothing in it that is of value, it's just the feeding. And that's the idea of the greedy, where people pursue, 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 pursue. And what happens is they're needing more, they're needing more, they're needing more. And again, this is that hollow feeling that a person has trying to fill it and because they're in a mentality of consuming, there is nothing in it that is of value, so it does not fulfill. I think one of the best talks I've ever heard on pornography was not in a church, it was a TED Talk, where they talked about this law of diminishing returns that takes place. And it's the novelty that keeps being pursued that pretty soon the attachment to people becomes less and less and the need for the novelty becomes more and more. And so now people who are constantly watching porn are distancing themselves from actual relationships and it's not able to fulfill what they need. You know, those things that happen to us biologically. When I I first kissed my wife or held her hand, it's exciting. I remember it still. It makes me smile, right? I I remember how nervous I was. Does she really like me? What if she doesn't? What if I hold her hand and she does that thing, you know, like, oh, be devastated, right? But she held my hand back. She kissed me back and there were butterflies and there was excitement, And some people just want the butterflies. Some people just want the excitement and don't realize that there is more and you have to go past just the feeling that you get until what is a part of the dynamic of the relationship. Where now when I hold my wife's hand, it means a whole lot more after 35 years than it did after a week. And there aren't the same butterflies. No, now there's memories. Now I carry with it the hard things that we've been through. Now I I carry with it the things that we've gone through together. Now I carry with it the knowledge I have grown to understand her and her me. But that only happens when we remove this greedy need for myself, this consumeristic idea that takes place. And, And it's important that we understand that because... The meaning of anything can only grow in depth when we consider more than what we want. And the third implication that I want to bring out and kind of close with is the abuse by the powerful. And this is at the heart of Jesus's whole ministry. Think about it. Who was Jesus talking to? It was a multitude of people. Right? And we saw early on who was there. Were there women there? Yeah. Can you imagine the women at that time hearing these words and what they thought? 
how liberating that could be. Elevating them to a, a place of equality that we even see later on in scripture. Why is Jesus then focusing just on the men? Don't women lust too? Right? Don't they have these problems too? Yeah, I, I know they do. At this time though, Jesus and throughout all time, there has been this objectifying of com- making a commodity out of women for men's sake. It's part of our history, right? The politics and character of the kingdom has to be a place that is safe for women. It has to be. And it's important. History has continually put the obligation on women for men's lack of self-control. We're seeing it now in some of the things that we're hearing, what's happening in Afghanistan, where women were going to school and they were getting into you know, vocations. And now there's this fear, okay, we have to cover ourselves again. And there's all this terror of what could happen. Because if a man lusts after a woman, it's her fault. There's a writing in Hebrew scripture, not scripture, one of the writings from a a rabbi who caught a man drilling a hole in his fence because he had a beautiful daughter. And when the rabbi caught him and challenged him, what are you doing? The man said to the rabbi, well, since I cannot marry your daughter and have her, can I at least get a glimpse of her beauty? Now, I know what I would have said to the guy. Here's what the rabbi said. He turned to his daughter and said, you are the source of trouble to mankind. Return to dust so that man may not sin because of you. You think, man, those rabbis are bad. What about the early church? Tortillian had a writing on the apparel of women. Even natural beauty should be obliterated by concealment or neglect, since it is dangerous to those who look at it. Other rabbinic writings don't talk to a woman. They should cover themselves. They should be hidden. Why? Because they are a distraction to men, to what we see happening today in Afghanistan. And what about political leaders? Right? Governor Cuomo. And just so we don't pick on just Democrats, what about Governor Schwarzenegger? Not to mention presidents, congressmen. Okay, but what about the church? What about Ravi Zacharias? who employed women just for his sexual service and then threatened them because he now employed them. Carl Lentz from Hillside, or Hillsong. Bill Heibel, Bob Coy from Calvary Chapel. Why is Jesus focusing on the man? Because his kingdom that is filled with those who mourn, those who are meek, the poor in spirit, has to be a place that's safe for women. And when people are in power, 
to look like the kingdom, this has to be part of that characteristic. And what about the church today? How can we conduct ourselves in a way? I've heard people talk in churches about women who who go out to bars and get drunk and are not dressed properly, that they're asking for it. Really? I remember in Wales, one time we took a group over there helping a church get started. And and as we were at the flats where we were staying, there was a young lady who was just drunk. She was out of her mind drunk. And there was a group of guys who were following her. And this this lady's clothes were doing all they could to hang on to her, right? They, I mean, she had 10 pounds in a five-pound bag, if you get what I'm saying, right? That just was there. And she was just about, she could not get into her flat because she could not find the key to open the door. Is this someone who's asking for it? And one of the guys got the key, opened the door for her, got her in her room, put her in her bed, put the keys on the table and locked her in the room so that she was safe. Why? Because that's what the kingdom looks like. It values people and it doesn't take advantage of the weak. And Jesus is dealing with this and would deal with this throughout his ministry. He's speaking against that and calling out the patriarchal society that said men could have affairs as long as it didn't hurt another married man with no consideration of the women. Jesus is saying, nope, you're committing adultery against her. Boom. You think this is one of the heavies? Yeah, that's the heavy too. The politics and life of Jesus challenged that. And even today in how we interpret the scriptures. You know, there is a place in Acts chapter 15 where there's this incredible council that's gathered because the Gentiles are coming into this Jewish way of life. They're becoming followers of Christ because it started off as a very Jewish thing. And the Jews are saying, what do we have to do with these Gentiles? Do they have to keep the Sabbath? Do they need to be circumcised? What are we gonna require of them? And after getting together and counseling together, James, who was the brother of Jesus, gets together and he says, you know what? They should abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. That's all. Now, this was a major movement in the early beginning of the church. How important is it to us? Do you guys ever go to Juan Pollo and ask them, were your chickens strangled? I don't, I don't care if they've been strangled. They taste good. There's fine. What about this idea of blood? Have you ever had blood pudding? Right? In the UK, it's oatmeal and, I don't know, breadcrumbs, and it's sautéed in pork's blood. And it's gross. I could not, I got a piece, because you got to try it, right? You're there, could not handle it. Is there any complaining about Europe and their blood pudding? Look at Acts chapter 15. It says you should not have blood. There's no worrying about it whatsoever. But Paul writes a letter to a pastor who's living in a city 
And he writes one line about women being silent and it becomes the status for all churches throughout history. Women don't get to be pastors now. Why? Because Paul said it. Well, what was Mary doing sitting at the feet of Jesus except being a disciple? What about the women who supported Jesus's ministry? Women weren't allowed to testify in court and yet they are the ones who saw the resurrection first. What about Acts 16, where Julia is chief among the prophet or apostles? What about all those? Oh, never mind those. Women can't be pastors. Women can't be leaders in church. To this day, it's happening. It's still going on. And Jesus is flipping the tables because the kingdom looks like this. The kingdom values humanity and sees it as a gift and wants us to learn how to live with control of our will and not the suppression of others as if we were the center of this universe. So this is a whole lot more than just don't commit adultery. The politics of Jesus is challenging the politics of the time and is in its face saying, you think this is big and this is small, but I'm telling you, this is just as big. Now, he's not making light of adultery. He's not making light of these things that are of importance to us as people. But what he is doing is challenging how they see things and is making them responsible for their actions because God sees it this way. And I hope we will too. I hope we will challenge maybe some of the things we've heard, even growing up in church. Like I said at the beginning, can we at least talk, right? If you're out there right now and you disagree with what I'm saying, come here Wednesday, let's talk. I promise I won't be so yelling and all excited. I'll be calmer, right? unless I have too much coffee. Let's talk about it. Why can't we step into this and actually see what does the kingdom of God look like? How are we to live and reflect the politics of Jesus? And how can it change our world? Mm. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, you challenge me. And sometimes it's kind of uncomfortable. But it's good. And I pray that we would wrestle with the implications of what we read today and allow them to find a way in our lives that brings about change to our influence, the people we know, the way we interact, how we see things, what we stand up for, and how we press into things. God, may we be people who reflect your kingdom over any other. May the politics of Jesus override any other
political system we hold to. And may it shape our lives and the lives of those around us. Thank you, God, for these challenging words. May we grow from them and become more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May your will and desire join together and produce a life that is healthy for you and those around you. May the kingdom of God shape who you are and may you shape the world you live in for the sake of Christ. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Remember, we'll be praying here afterwards if you want to join in prayer for those who are hurting right now. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.